Here at Cornerstone, we're studying Matthew chapters 1 through 7. We've been doing it for a while, and we're going to keep doing it for a while. We're in chapter 5 today, and there's still time for those of you that have not been digging it in, into it yourselves. Still lots of time for you to read and reread these chapters to hear from the Lord what he has to say to you. We're in chapter 5 right now, which is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5 through 7 are the longest recorded speech from Jesus that we have anywhere in the world. Uh, and, and it's in our Bibles here for us. There are some wonderful things to say. And we've come to that place today in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus addressed two very touchy topics, adultery and divorce. Now, not only is today the day that we dedicated my son Timothy, but it's, it's also my son Josiah's birthday. And there was a thought that occurred to me, like, maybe I don't want to preach on adultery and divorce on that day. Uh, and you know, truth be told, there are some preachers who would avoid these topics. But Jesus didn't. And we here at Cornerstone Church, we follow Jesus' lead. At least, that, at least that's what we want to do. So as we're walking through this wonderful section of Scripture, as we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and we get to these places where in my Bible it's titled Adultery, and the next one is entitled Divorce, we're not going to skip over those. We want to look at those and see what it is that God has told us. So in my sermon today, what I really want to happen is I want Jesus' words to sink in. And, and what I don't want to happen is I don't want you to leave with a feeling of condemnation from me, okay? Uh, if anything, what I want you to do is to simply hear what Jesus said on these topics because we believe that what he says is best. And, and we just want to live according to his ways. Um, before we get into these topics, I just want to mention something that the song, the last couple of songs that we sang we're getting at, and it's this idea of forgiveness. So right off the bat, I want to, I want to tell you that if you feel like you have, may have messed up in these areas, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We're going to have communion later on today. We're going to celebrate that forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ. Now, we shouldn't take that as a license to just go and do whatever it is that we want to do. But for those of us who are humble and realize that we've made mistakes, I want you to know that there is forgiveness in Christ. So, in fact, this forgiveness goes so far that at one point in the Gospels, Jesus said that there were some prostitutes who would be entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of the religious leaders because those prostitutes were the ones who were willing to humble themselves and to repent. So what I want from you today is to simply be honest with God. I'm not asking any of you to, to stand up and shout your sins out to anybody else. I'm asking you simply to be honest with God and if there's anything that he reveals to you, I just want you to go the full distance in dealing with that issue before the Lord. Because you see, the issues of adultery and divorce have to do with sin. And more than just being about the actions of sin, these things point out what is going on in our hearts. And remember, in, in Matthew 5, Jesus is getting at heart issues. There were six times in here where Jesus says something like, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. <coughs> what he's doing there is he's correcting a faulty, surface-level interpretation of the law or of the Old Testament or even of what people heard what might have been true in the Old Testament. Jesus is correcting those faulty surface-level interpretations and getting at the heart issue of what's going on inside of us when we might be tempted to sin. So today we're going to look at the second and third of these six instances. Last week we looked at the issue of murder and Jesus expanded that issue to include anger 
and even insulting words. And today we're going to look at the issues of adultery and divorce, and Jesus is going to get at the heart issues. And both of these issues have to do with, um, with God's high view of marriage. You see, God established marriage. Marriage was God's idea. Before the fall, it was his idea. And marriage is meant to be a word picture of God's relationship with us. Think about that. God has committed to us in love. And he wants us to commit to him in love as well. And when you marry somebody, you're committing to forsake all others and to love your spouse. And that's what God wants from us, that we would forsake all other gods and worship him only. And God doesn't want anything to get in the way of our relationship with him. Now, unfortunately, we oftentimes let things get in the way of our relationship with him. And that's why we're going to talk about adultery and divorce. Because God has something better for us. And then please hear my heart in this. If you're going to realize today that something is going wrong in your heart or, or in your actions, I want you to know that God has something better. Okay? All too often we get stuck in a path of sin because we've looked at that path and said, you know what, that looks pleasing to me. That looks like something that I might enjoy, that I might want to do. But in the end we find that it doesn't satisfy our souls. And what I want you to hear is that God leads you into something better. So if there's conviction today, please know that there's forgiveness, and please know also that God has a better path for you. That, that's my heart for you and what I want you to get from this sermon and from this scripture today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 27 to 32 in two sections. The first section is Jesus teaching on adultery. The second section is Jesus teaching on divorce. So I'm going to read the first section first, verses 27 through 30. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So in verse 27, Jesus quoted from the Ten Commandments. He quoted the seventh one. says, you shall not commit adultery. Just like last Sunday, we looked at in uh, verse 21, where he quoted, do not murder, which was the sixth commandment. And, and just like last time, Jesus was exposing a faulty surface level interpretation. There were some people who said, well, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm not guilty of murder. But Jesus said, what about anger? What about insults? Have you done that? And just like that, now in our passage today, Jesus expands the scope. And in verse 28, that's why he said, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The theologian Michael Wilkins says, When a man even looks with desire at another woman, he has rejected his wife and given himself to another. So lust is the sinful act of desiring something sexually that isn't yours. Now, God created sex, and within the context of marriage, sex is a good thing. But the pastor, John Stott, says all God's gifts need to be used responsibly. So God has given us this gift, but we need to use it according to his ways. And this matter is so serious that in verses 29 through 30, Jesus warned that the danger is hell. He went to the extremes of even saying that it's such a danger that you should gouge out your eye or cut off your right hand. Now, and 
The reason he went to that extreme, like I said, is because the danger is hell. Now, why hell? Why, why is it that Jesus talked about hell? Is it that lust and adultery are so bad, like there, there's some sins that are just so bad that God looks at those and says, oh, that one's terrible. But there's other sins where God says, yeah, we'll just, that'll be okay, fine. No. The deal is that any sin is enough to separate us from God. Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. So one of the things that we need to look at as we look at this teaching on adultery and lust, or really as we look at any sin in the Bible, is that any sin is serious enough to separate us from God. And by the way, the separation that God talks about is an eternal separation. If every one of us are sinners, the the penalty that we have earned is spiritual separation from God. You can think about that as you think about Adam and Eve and the first sin that they created. What was the consequence of it? There was a separation from God that happened there. And that was actually just the first foretaste of the penalty. Because the finality of that penalty is hell, that eternal separation from God. But then also what we need to realize as we talk about sin is that, praise the Lord, God sent a Savior. So the issue is that we're all sinners. And actually, I think one of the ways that we should look at this passage is say, boy, if, if lust is a heart issue, then I've been guilty of that. And that's the way that we should read most of the teaching on the Bible. As it talks about, most of the sins that are talked about in the Bible are sins that we have probably committed, at least in our heart, at some point. And what it points out is that we need a Savior. Again, praise the Lord. He sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior. He sent Jesus Christ to take our sins upon himself and die on the cross. So think about that. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying to pay the penalty for those sins of lust that we've all committed. And the result for us who receive him as Savior and Lord is complete forgiveness. A relationship with God and we get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. That's for anyone who will receive Jesus as Savior. That means acknowledging that we're sinners and acknowledging that we need that forgiveness. And it's for those people who receive Jesus as Lord. You see, he's not just Savior, he's also Lord. And for him to be Lord means that we recognize that he has a path of life that he wants us to live. The word Lord can also mean master. And I think that we each came into this world assuming that we were our own master. That's why we choose things like lust. But to receive Jesus then means that we receive a new master and that we say to him, I want you to direct my life and not myself. So for those who receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and and live in him, we know that we have that forgiveness and that eternal life. So if we get back to the issues then of adultery and lust as Jesus talked about them, there's really two issues here. The first is that initial act of forgiveness that we all need to receive that every single one of us is a sinner and we need to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. Now, for me, back when I was 15 years old, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord and and my sin was dealt with because of what Jesus had done at the cross. But then the second issue here is our ongoing need to flee from sin because I don't know if you're like me, but it wasn't like all of a sudden a switch just turned off and I stopped sinning. You know, I, No, those of you who know me know that that's not the way that it happened. Some things God helps us overcome right away, but there's other, other sins that tend to linger in our lives. And Jesus' teaching here, I think, is a reminder, even for us who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, that we need to continue to flee from sin. 
Sin is not what God wants to lead us into. It's not enough for us to say, I've been forgiven, I can do what I want to do. Actually, our response should be, thank you for forgiving me, I now want to live the kind of life that will honor you. Okay. So our desire should be to flee from sin, and that's why Jesus talked about these extreme things of gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand. And you have to ask the question here, was he serious? Um, raise your hand here if you've ever cut off your hand. <laughs> Thank you for getting that joke. Um, so did Jesus really mean that we should do that? You know what my answer is to that question? Yes. If it would help. Now the thing is, I think that Jesus has already told us that the issue isn't merely an issue of our eyes or our hands. One verse before he talked about that, what did he say? That anyone who's look, who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. Where? In his heart. So even if you were to gouge out your eye, you'd have an, enough of a lifetime of memories to still be able to commit adultery in your heart. And if you didn't have your hand, you'd probably figure out a way to, to commit those sins anyways. Um, the thing is then that we have to deal with our hearts and we have to be honest with God in this. And I think what verses 29 through 30 tell us then is that we should go to whatever length necessary to deal with these sins as we see them in our lives and in our hearts. So verses 29 to 30 urge us to take drastic action. But I want to give you a caution here. Um, excuse me. I want to give you a caution here. Don't jump too quickly to the outward solution. Don't jump too quickly to saying, oh, here's something that I can do. You know, I can uh, turn off the internet or whatever it might be. The first, we should deal with this issue in our hearts. We should talk to God, confess our sins, ask Him for the strength. And then we can go to the outward solutions. So again, deal with your heart first. Then we go to these outward solutions. And... Um, Back to this idea of the heart then. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts. And in James 1, 14, we're reminded that temptations work on our desires. Do you know why temptation is so tempting? Because Satan works on our desires. He picks those things out that he knows that we would want and he tempts us to sin in those areas. And when we choose to follow that pattern, it's a heart issue. So if there's a lust issue in your life, please deal with your heart first. And then as you deal with your heart, then you can work on some outward solutions, some other things that you can do to help you overcome these problems. So again, just to be very clear, lust happens first in our hearts, and then it usually spreads towards our minds or our thoughts, and then sometimes towards our actions as well. So what can we do? What are some practical things that we can do to flee from lust? in our actions. Well, the, the first thing is just very simple. Repent. And the word repent means turn around. So if you've been doing something, if you know that you've been following a sinful path, turn around and follow the path that God has for you. But let me get even more practical and, and even more frank here. And this is where it might start to get a little uncomfortable, but I'm, I'm okay with that being uncomfortable here for today. Um, oftentimes, lust reveals itself in what we look at. Okay? Now, there is a strong link between lust and pornography. And if you don't believe that, 
I really think that you're deceiving yourself. I've heard people say, oh, it doesn't affect me. I can look at that and not be affected by it. I don't buy it. I think it's, it's one of the great tools of our enemy to tempt us to sin so that he can get at our hearts. So, um, <laughs> I thought about starting off my sermon by saying this, but I'll, I'll say it now instead. I, I did a Google search on pornography this week. So <laughs> Actually, let me clarify. I did a very careful search where I typed in, and I prayed before I did this, like, whoa, okay, I can't go into this lately. I typed in, stats on pornography. And, and I hit enter, and the very first one that came out, the, the hit that came out, was from CovenantEyes.com. And I was glad because I, I felt, okay, I can click on that. I know CovenantEyes.com, which, by the way, just as a practical tip, if you're looking for some internet accountability, there's things out there like CovenantEyes.com. There's others. Um, but yeah, uh, if you're looking for some help online, you can go there. But uh, I, I clicked on CovenantEyes.com, and there was an article where they had some statistics on pornography. And I just want to give you uh, a few of them here. The first one said that 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women, women are addicted to pornography. Now there's a couple ways you could take that. One is you could say, oh, well, okay, if that's me, then I'm not the only one. And maybe it's not that big of a deal. That would be the wrong way to look at it. Uh, another way that I would like to look at is I would like to think that maybe at Cornerstone we're a little bit better because we're people who, who really want to seek God and, and get to know him in his word. And you know, Maybe part of that 50% is people who just say they're Christians but they're really not walking in the light. Maybe, but at the same time, I don't want to be naive about this and there may be some of you out there who are struggling with this issue of internet pornography or pornography in some other form or even maybe it's just in your mind. Um, and I just want to say that that's not God's plan. Okay? God has a good plan in this area, but it's not for us to steal, to lust, to commit adultery in our hearts. Uh, another stat here, in 56% of divorces, at least one party had an obsessive interest in pornography. We're going to talk about divorce next, and we're going to say uh, you know, divorce is not God's plan, and oftentimes... Pornography is something that paves the way for a broken marriage leading to divorce. And then one other stat, and this is for you parents and, and kids, says that one-third to one-half of kids are exposed to pornography before age 13. Now, we just sent some of our 8- to 12-year-olds upstairs to, to watch something else, uh, a cool video on the Holy Land. It has nothing to do with pornography or adultery. And, and the point is not that we want to shelter them from hearing these words. Actually, my, my heart in it was simply, I want you parents to be able to control this conversation with your kids. And actually, maybe what some of you parents will want to do is to go home and, and listen to this sermon with your kids, if, if you think that that might help. I'll put the sermon online sometime in the next couple days. Um, but really, uh, let me tell you this. Let me guarantee you of this. The world will give a message to your children. I remember hearing that message from the world. I was either 7th or 8th grade. Uh, I forget what year it was, but I remember it was health class. And, and I heard a very strong, very sinful message from the world that I believed. So let me just urge you parents to know that those messages are out there and we need to be training our kids. So parents, have the talk with your kids. And, and let me just tell you, 7th grade... It's too late to start. Now, if you haven't started yet, then it's okay. Start today. You know, 
do your best from today moving forward. Uh, and I don't know the exact best age to start. Uh, I asked somebody this week and he said, you know, maybe third or fourth grade you can start to try to address some of these issues. Obviously you want to do it age appropriately, but, but even for us, you know, with our first grader, we've started to just the very basics of, you know, what, what private means and what parts of the body and that sort of thing. But uh, have that converse, conversations with your kids. You need to train your kids. The message of the world will be very strong. Our message needs to be even stronger. And, and then one just quick tip for you parents. Monitor your kids' internet and phone activity. Okay, know what they're doing. Uh, the, the sad part is they probably know how to get around things more than we do, but uh, have conversations with them and, and even probably some structures in place so that you can monitor what they're looking at. Okay. Lust. If you're looking for a way to, de to derail your relationship with God, which I do not recommend, but if you're looking for that, lust would be one of the best ways to do it. Think about it this way. The sinful nature wants to tempt us to lust. The sinful nature wants to get us to go on a path that leads us away from God. And if we're following that path, we are not following God. It might seem innocuous. It might just say, oh, who am I hurting? I've heard, how many times have we heard that message? Who am I hurting by looking at this? But that's not the issue. It's a heart issue and it leads you away from God. So first and foremost, it is a heart issue and then it's in our actions. And then just to get towards some tips of some things that we can do, Matthew 6.23, Jesus said, if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if pornography is a problem, deal with it. Um, like Garland said, he wasn't talking about pornography, but he said, you know, turn off the internet. I, I don't think there's an on-off switch on the internet, but you know what he means. Some of you maybe need to go to that extreme. If you saw the movie Fireproof, the, the main character in that movie took his computer out in the backyard and whacked it with a baseball bat about 50 times. Neighbors gave him a weird look, but, uh, uh, but another less dramatic thing you could do would be to talk to a trusted friend. If you have this issue, just go to somebody that you trust, somebody that you know won't broadcast it to others, and just tell them you have a problem. Or if you want to get real drastic about telling somebody else, tell your father-in-law. <laughs> My father-in-law is here today, so you know, we, uh, if you really want to deal with the issue, that might be a great, great way to go. And then again, it's not just pornography, it's our thoughts too. And I want to tell you just a quick story from my life on this. Uh, I, like I said, I was about 7th or 8th grade when I heard a very strong message from the world, and that led to very strong patterns in my mind and in my eyes. And uh, it was about my junior year of high school then where I, I heard this message. I went to a Christian high school, and I heard one of the teachers say, in the book of Job, Chapter 31, verse 1, we read this from Job. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And this teacher challenged us to do the same thing. And I, I knew at that moment it was the right thing to do. So I made that covenant with my eyes. Uh, I made a covenant to do chin-ups. Chin-ups? What are you Chin-ups. Spiritual chin-ups. Where I made a commitment not to look at a woman below her chin. Um, you know... And it was, a, it was a very difficult commitment because the sinful nature raged against that commitment that I had made. And it was a battle. I remember the first month just being a battle. 
Um, but you know what? God helped me. And I'm not going to claim, and I don't want anybody to get the picture that I'm saying, hey, I've conquered that. You know, back when I was 16, I conquered that and never, ever struggled with it. That's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is that God can help you. And that covenant that I made with my eyes was very helpful. And then just a quick tip for women. Um, don't dress, excuse me, don't dress seductively. It's okay to make yourself look attractive. I, God made women beautiful, and it's okay to be attractive, but seductive, and we all know the difference between attractive and seductive. And let me just say this to you women. You do not want to attract the type of man that will be attracted to your seductiveness. Okay? You want to find a better man than that. But again, this is all a heart issue. It's about purity, and it's about seeking to honor God in all that we do. Okay, let's move on to divorce now. And um, I have a little bit less to say about divorce, so we'll, we'll walk through this pretty quick here. But verses 31 and 32, I want to read these. Jesus said, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, in verse 31, Jesus is referring back to Deuteronomy 24, where Moses addressed one specific scenario about people who were already divorced and, and told them there was one thing that they couldn't do. Now, many Jews in Jesus' day took that as an endorsement of divorce. And, and actually, later on in the Gospel of Matthew, some people came up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, do God and Moses endorse divorce? Because they, they tell us in Deuteronomy 24 what to do in this, in this circumstance. Jesus' answer was this in, in Matthew 19.8. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Divorce was never God's intention for marriage. I like how he said it. It was not this way from the beginning. That was never God's plan. And that's why Jesus went on to say in verse 32 in our passage, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus has a high view of marriage. And as such, adultery and divorce are wrong. And why is it that they're wrong? Is it simply that God's against the physical act of it? Well, actually, again, it's a heart issue here. It's a heart issue. You see, we have two choices in life. Like I've been saying, either we follow the sinful nature or we follow God's path for our lives. And usually what happens when we, when we don't follow God's path is we end up creating a path for ourselves. The sinful nature tempts us into something, something that we might think is better, something that we might think that we want. And if that's the way that we're living, we're going to leave a trail of broken relationships in our wake because we're only going to be thinking about ourselves. And that's what divorce is. Actually, I would say divorce is a selfish act. It's the act of people who think about themselves more than the person that they committed to love for the rest of their life. Now, our best life is the life where we follow God. And as such, we should really listen to his teaching on marriage. And what he says is that marriage is to be honored and protected. Now, Jesus does list one exception here, one time where he says divorce would be okay. He says it's in the case of marital unfaithfulness. That can also be translated as sexual immorality. 
In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul lists one other exception, the exception for when there's an unbelieving spouse who wants to leave the believer. His advice to the believer is, you can go ahead and let that spouse leave. So we have two exceptions in the Bible where we, we would see that divorce is acceptable. But let me say this. Even if divorce is acceptable, I don't think that what Jesus is saying here is if there's ever any instance of sexual morality that you have to get a divorce. I don't think Paul is saying that either. In fact, I would say that the biblical message on this is that we should seek reconciliation. God is a God of reconciliation. Think about it from his perspective. Again, marriage is meant to be a picture of our relationship with him. Well, think about his perspective. We are the sinners. We are the ones who fleed from God, who worshipped other gods, other idols. But God loved us and sent his son to die for us that we might have a relationship with him. So really, we shouldn't be looking for a way out of our marriages. We should be fighting for our marriages. Divorce is not God's plan for marriage. And let me add this. It wasn't your plan either. Remember the wedding vows? Every wedding I've ever been at has had this part. Till death do us part. And what would you say? Yes. Um, five verses after Jesus talked about divorce here, he says, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. So if you said yes to your spouse, you should love that spouse till death do you part. But again, it's a hard issue. Do you care enough about honoring God that you will seek to honor him in every situation, including a difficult marriage? See, divorce, like I said, is usually a selfish act. And divorce usually causes collateral damage. It's not just that the husband and wife have a broken relationship, it's that there are other relationships that are marred as well. And what we should be seeking before that happens is reconciliation. We're to fight for our marriages. But what about those of you who have already been divorced? I, I, I realize that there are some of you in here, and I, and I want to, again, I don't want you to hear condemnation from me. I want you to hear that there's forgiveness. And, and I want to have two very specific things to say to you who have been divorced. One of them looking back, and one of them looking forward. Looking back, go the full distance in repentance. That is to say that a divorce happens because something has gone wrong, because there has been sin and probably lots of sin in the marriage. And not, it's not that there's equal parties in divorce. Like, it's not like every divorce is 50-50. Sometimes it's more like 99-1 or even 100-0% fault. But what I want to say is if there's anything that you did to cause difficulty to sin in that marriage. Go the full distance in repenting. And first and foremost, that happens with God. We talk to God about our sin. And then when appropriate, maybe you need to talk to your ex and confess your sins to your ex. And if there are other broken or marred relationships, confess those. Uh, work at reconciliation on those as well. So go the full distance in repentance. And then looking forward, please know that God has good plans for you. Divorce doesn't mean that you're a lesser child of God. It means that you made a mistake and we all make mistakes. So God has wonderful plans for all of us moving forward. Okay, and then to those of you who are married, love your spouse well. Ephesians 5 calls us husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How much love is that? 
whole lot. He died for the church. And in Ephesians 5, it talks about how our goal as husbands should be to, to make our wives holy. So husbands, your desire, our desire, should not just be that we would have a wife who meets our needs, you know, cooks the meals when we say she should, and, and good ones, by the way. And <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a good goal in some ways, but, but that should not be our goal. Our goal should be wives who become more and more like Jesus Christ. So husbands, are you loving and serving your wives that way? And then wives, the message for you in Ephesians 5 is to respect your husbands and to submit to them under the lordship of Christ. And those aren't my words, those are God's words. I'll just, I'll just ask you to, uh, to deal with those and, and apply those as the Lord leads you. And then one final note on divorce and remarriage. Each situation is different. It, it's amazing. Actually, one of, the, one of the things that causes us pastors the most difficulty theologically is what happens in this situation? You know, the, wo- the woman did this, the husband did this, and there's kids. And, you know, there are so many gray areas in these, in these regards. There are the two exceptions that are very clear in the Bible where divorce is acceptable. Adultery and when an unbelieving spouse leaves a believer. But there's a whole host of gray areas as we look at these individual situations. So I actually sat through a seminary class. One of the most interesting seminary classes I had was where one of our professors just walked us through all sorts of these gray areas. It took probably like an hour and a half, so we're not going to do that here. But what I would say to you is if you have any questions, I'd be glad to talk to you. Um, But what needs to happen is each individual situation needs to be held up to the light of Scripture and to say, where do we stand? What do we need to repent of? And we shouldn't just be looking for a way out again. We should be looking for God's heart in the matter. Okay, then let me just give my conclusion to the sermon here. Adultery and divorce are heart issues. These two topics aren't simply about our actions. Jesus wants us to investigate our hearts and see what's going on there. And our desire should be to honor God with everything we do. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we mess up. And praise the Lord, there's forgiveness for that. And again, we're going to celebrate forgiveness in communion in just a few minutes here. So whether you find yourself convicted of sin, or or actually maybe even feeling like you're on the right path, please, moving forward, seek to honor the Lord in all that you do, in your heart and in your actions. One of my favorite verses, one that's sticking out to me from Matthew 1-7, through is 5-8, where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So how's your heart? Is it your heart's desire to honor God in all that you do? But then actions are important as well. How are your actions doing? Are they lining up with God's will for your life? If you're struggling with lust, what can you do about it? Well, seek to make the right decisions today. That's maybe some of the best advice I can give you. God will give you daily bread today and tomorrow and every day. Seek him every day. And then one verse I like on this, Hebrews 5.14, it talks of those who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I love that. Constant use. We are constantly to be seeking God. And it talks about in that verse training ourselves training ourselves to do what's right, to distinguish good from evil. So if you mess up, repent. Keep seeking God and his will for your life, in your heart and in your actions. God wants to follow, excuse me, God wants to lead you into what's right. Let's follow him in every circumstance. Would you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for your teaching on these topics because we don't want to be left in the dark on these topics that uh, we're often so tempted in and can be so difficult for us. So God, please help us moving forward to, to know what's right and to live according to what's right. And then God, if, if there are people here who are just struggling with choices they've made in the past or patterns of life that are going on even now, God, I pray that we would repent and seek forgiveness. And we thank you, God, that you purify and cleanse from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God, that you are the God of forgiveness and the God who leads us into wonderful things. God, help us to do our part in repenting. Help us to do our part in following you, but we thank you for how you lead and guide us into what's right. We praise you for the life that you have for us in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.